0: What's going on today we are going to be talking about recovery and overtraining and the human body and injuries so Uh, For those of you guys who love maybe the ones that are maybe a little bit nerdier or more informational in terms of tactile use for training, performance, health, and wellness, uh, this one will be right up your alley. For those of you guys who are maybe a little bit more here for the mindfulness and uh, looking for just some thought-provoking things from, you know, staying on top of our game and developing and growing and so on. Now, first, I want to overlay this a little bit. And we're going to take a little bit of a tangent to begin here. But I think it's really important for us to take a couple of steps back and really think about the human body and how incredible it truly is. And I think every now and again, obviously, with the modern society that we live in, it's just it's so easy to just forget about this and forget about what we are capable of. And the conversation I was having the other day was, I mean, really think about like our base invention. When you think about what was the first human invention, people always talk about fire. And it's like there is not another species in the world who has been able to invent or figure out fire, maybe monkeys, but only with the teaching of a human were they capable of doing that. And so the human mind is just this absolutely amazing thing that has invented and created so many incredible things that we just take for granted. And a lot of that now is just technology and Western medicine and doctors and all this other stuff. And because of that, we have gained this reliance on... These machines and the information inside a doctor's heads and that is passed down through textbooks and all this stuff. And we've sort of just lost sight of what the human body and what the human mind and what we are just capable of. And the other conversation I was having this week about something similar was, you know, everybody there's so much you know bitching and complaining we talk about that a lot with the mindfulness part of the podcast but just in the general nature and I was making the argument earlier this week that you know if you are a minimum wage worker which you know a lot of people bitch about minimum wage and there's a lot of you know conversation around that right now politically and but it's like okay if you have if you have heating and you have air conditioning you have running water and a shower and you know a toilet that flushes a television internet, maybe a smartphone and a computer, which I think all of those things, maybe with a little work, some smart spending habits and such, like you can achieve all of those things with minimum wage or two minimum wage incomes. Just that, just that base level is more than royalty, the the richest aristocracy on the planet up until maybe like a hundred years ago, like you were living better than King's. And just at our base level and everybody, you know, there's a lot of conversation around wealth and equality and all this stuff. But it really you just need to take a second and just be like, wow, like it's incredible that if I break my leg, I get to go to a hospital and put it in a cast. And then a few weeks later, like it's all better. You know, I get an X-ray and they put some screws and, you know, some pins in there. And then just a few weeks, I'll be better. Like 100 years ago, the answer was saw your leg off and put a wooden peg on there and you walk around with a peg leg for the rest of your life. That was it. It's like you look at wartime, you know, triage and medicine. The answer was, you know, chop it off or let them die. And there was like nothing in between. And, you know, this is this is the conversation that, has sort of, you know, again, we just, we take all of this for granted because it's all we've ever known. And now it's ramping up at such an incredible level that people have just stopped paying attention to it. And so first of all, let's all just be grateful. Like if you were just a capable human being and you're living right now, just take a moment and just drink in how incredible it is, but don't take it for granted the plight of our society's health and fitness is that they take this body, this beautiful, amazing thing. They take their mind, which is the most incredible thing. Like it's the only thing that really makes me believe in a higher power is how insane are like the human brain is like in, in nerve endings and how all of it works. Like it's insane. And yet we just sort of let ourselves just trash it. And not pay attention to how to treat it like like this precious kingdom, our most valuable asset. Like, people protect their smartphones more than their bodies. And it's just insane to me. So that will sort of overlay the beginning of this conversation. Which, first of all, do not take your body and do not take your mind for granted, right? You absolutely need to be doing things on a daily basis to improve both of those. Okay. And a piece of this should be like every human, by the time they're 20 or 30, they should have a basic understanding of how to take care of their body and how to take care of their mind. And the answers don't need to be super complicated, right? Again, advertising, marketing, all this stuff has thrown you all these things. And like any, any answer is fine, right? But just figure out a way for you to make your body feel good and stay healthy and utilize the technology that we have like blood tests and biometric scans to start to ensure that you're doing what you can to stay healthy. Then start making sure that you're doing things to improve your mental health. Lots of really good research out there right now on how we can do things to avoid Alzheimer's and how we can do dementia and anxiety and stress and some of these other disorders. Like the information is out there. You just need to take a little bit of time and care about it. The problem is everybody takes everything for granted up until there is a problem. And then they maybe give a shit about it. Or even then what I see a lot of times is they just still rely on somebody else to give them the answers. And so, you know, that's all of that frustrates me a little bit. And so the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, just take a little bit of stock in your own most valuable asset. Like do a little bit of research, ask some questions, communicate with coaches, find goals, research on the internet. Like just, just spend a little bit of time giving a shit about your own mind and your own body. Like that's, that's the first thing. And probably for most of you guys listening, you are already doing that. But if you know people who are not like, Send them this podcast, or if you know people who are treating their bodies and minds like shit, either on the they're overtraining, overworking, overstressing end, which is the the bad end of getting involved with health and fitness and exercise, and marathons and CrossFit and some of the things that like have these extreme ends. It's like the runner's world is now just like, oh, you're either doing marathons and then everybody now does marathons and they're like, oh, I'm going to go do ultras. It's just like, why? More. I have to do more. It's like, no, like, it's fine. Until you can run a 16-minute 5K, there's no reason to go and run a marathon, right? So these are just some of the conversations that we need to start having where more is not more when it comes to how you treat your body and how you treat your mind and how we approach these things, okay? So now we're going to dive into a little bit of the recovery conversation. And this is something that has um, been a long-term progression for me. And when I first started CrossFit, I was as guilty of this as anybody. But I will plead a little bit of ignorance in that there was just not information out there about the level of overtraining that crossfit athletes were doing in 2012 13 14 15 the the scientists the smart minds in exercise and science had never seen people like crossfit athletes they'd never seen somebody driving so hard for performance it was just completely out of the realm of possibility to back squat 500 pounds and run a sub five minute mile. Now there's dozens of guys that can do that. And it just like women's performance has been just shattered by these like Icelandic women. And, and it's, it's just a whole new era of training that really for the first four or five years, I tell people it it was like this, you know, the first time, imagine like you were back in model T era, right. And uh, everybody's cars are going like, it's like, Oh my God, that car, it goes 18 miles an hour. It's faster than a human being that's running. And people were blown away by that. And then imagine like the next week, you just put in like a modern drag car that goes like a quarter mile in like, you know, two seconds. Um, and like, imagine putting that into that world, what would humans even think? Like it would it would take like years for people to figure out what the fuck was going on, and that's a little bit what CrossFit did to the to the athletic world is it it sort of started to amplify everything. Like now you had people that were pushing, you know, ends of Olympic lifting paired with you know metabolic condition and cardiovascular training and lactate threshold, and there were not very many experts that were able even even able to comprehend or study what was going on and so many of these specialty people specialty coaches they only knew like Olympic lifting you know and Olympic lifting when you start doing it for reps like all the Olympic lifting coaches were like no like that that doesn't make sense like you shouldn't be doing that it's not Olympic lifting and I say that because they were all old (laughs) but you know they would all they would all like freak out about it and And then now you start to find it's like, well, in actuality, you can be a national level lifter and you can keep good form for 30 squat snatches at, you know, half your body weight or, you know, three quarters of your body weight for time. And you can do that in under two or three minutes. Like no Olympic lifter is capable of that. No Olympic lifting coach thought that that was possible. Right. And the same thing goes with track athletes and, you know, marathoners and all these people, you know, rowing championships and rowing like records are being broken by CrossFitters. I think Sam Briggs holds about every rowing record there is now and she just does it passively. Well, why? Well, because rowing coaches never really saw the value in dedicated Olympic lifting or lactate threshold stuff that that CrossFitters do. Well, anyway, as this was all happening, the answers weren't there in terms of recovery. And there are a couple guys, you know, James Fitzgerald, who runs OPEX, is probably at the forefront of this. He really started looking at not just the training piece, which is what so many CrossFitters did, maybe training and nutrition, okay, he you know and now it's now it's everything everything's there all the information is out there and it's still being generally ignored by a lot of people but you know James wrote down a, a thing and it is it is unbelievably long it is a book right and it's 10 to 12 components that all play into recovery and this goes so far as to discuss how you chew your food right that's how deep he dives Into the conversation of recovery, right? Because the first piece of digestion is how much you chew your food up, the more you chew your food, and low stress while you're eating, and all this stuff. Like it all plays in. It's insane. And the gut drives your body's chemistry, which drives recovery, which drives performance, which so on, so on, so on, right? And so if you are not maximizing these things, you are leaving possible performance on the table. But what I find still is, you know, beginner CrossFitters who are starting in 2016, 17, 18. What I find now is it is the psychology of CrossFit that created this, right? Because now I get to see people who are starting in there in month eight or month 10 of CrossFit and they start to see these performance gains, and they start to really enjoy those performance gains, which is awesome. That's the plus side of CrossFit is we have test and retest. We have a scientific-based thing. Sorry, Charlotte's absolute crazy cat right now, so she's going to interrupt this podcast a lot. But um, you have these new CrossFitters who really start to engage with the, the fun of driving performance as their main indicator for health and fitness because what else is there, right? There's the only other thing that you can really care about with with, uh, fitness for the most part is looks, right? Maybe you can also care about some of your biometric scans and your blood tests and chronic disease markers, which I, you know, the health end of things, which is also fantastic. But what you'll find is those are actually also performance markers, right? So that's Greg Glassman's big thing where he always talks about you know if i take you from an 8 minute mile to a 6 minute mile if i take your back squat from a 200 to a 300 pound back squat and i take you from being not being able to do a rope climb to being able to do a 20 foot legless rope climb well i can guarantee you that every biomarker that you can have is going to improve during that time and so Again, it's still, you know, it's performance. It's just a little bit different indicators of performance, okay? But they get a little bit obsessive. So we're still talking about new, new CrossFitters, right? And now the information is out there, okay? I know it as a coach. Our coaches know it as coaches, right? They pay attention to it. Now, sometimes they get lost and sometimes they ask me or sometimes they seek out their own information on that. But what you find is that a lot of the new CrossFitters, they will start to do things that are literally against the coach's recommendation, against the programming recommendation, against the owner's recommendation, against James Fitzgerald's recommendations, and they start to, you know, overthink things. As, as Cash would say, they think they're better than themselves, right? So they, they overthink this and they start to hedge on doing more. Right. The answer has to be I'm going to take more classes. I'm going to stick around after class and I'm going to do more pull ups. I'm going to stick around after this and I'm going to run. And then I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to do a workout in my garage. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to, you know, add this on the weekends. And now I'm going to do a squat cycle on my own in my garage. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And 99.999% of the time, in fact, I will say that in, you know, 11 years of coaching competitive CrossFit, Never once has there been an athlete that I have seen that's recovery game is warrants more training, right? Ryan was really close and he was really prepping for the games. He was doing a very good job with things. And we really had dialed in his recovery protocols, um, his aerobic training, his recovery days, and really got to a great point with some of that stuff. Still though, There's some nutrition things, there's some sleep things, there's some timing things, there's some stress things, right? And all of that is because he still had to work a job. Like, we still have to live our lives, right? But even then, it does not warrant doing more. And so what I always find interesting is how many people want to go out there and still out-train their recovery, okay? So some people say you can't outwork a bad diet. Okay, yeah, very true, because diet's a part of recovery, But probably a better way to put that is you can't out-train bad recovery, okay? In reality, what you do, and I was super guilty of making this mistake. And, you know, a couple of my teammates were there um, when I had panic attacks. um, And I had a couple, um, you know, mental breakdowns during training. And a lot of times when I look back on that, I think it really comes down to I was overstressing myself to a level where it became just completely unsustainable but I wasn't educated enough at the time to really know what was happening um, I had probably reached massive adrenal fatigue I had started to really lose a lot of PRs and weights and numbers in my lifts and the real reason why was I was just working and training and working and training and working and training nonstop. you know 40 to 60 hours a week and it was just too much and I was doing things like Ramwad and I was, you know, getting massages and I was eating very healthy and I was doing a lot of these things. But even still, I was not massaging my aerobic system and learning how my lymphatic system worked and inflammation and you know controlling all of those things. I wasn't sleeping enough for the amount of training that I was doing, and I wasn't adding volume correctly. So there are answers to all of these questions, but the issue comes in when we start to not pay attention to those things and instead we start to do more and we start to spend more time training. And for those of you guys who have been, you know, consuming my content back to the days where, you know, I used to write blog posts every day and, and, and really have a more, as Cash would say, a more ranty type of narrative I have long since been very frustrated at the running community generally. Now I love running. I get that people love running and I really do. I enjoy running. I'm good at it. And it's always been something that I have seen value in just from as, as a human, like we should run. That's just obvious, right? Like we should be able to do that. It's like basic movement. Number one, walk and then run. And you know, when you watch kids play, they're just running all the time. And So I see the value in it, but what drives me nuts is it is just this culture of more, 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 more. I've got to run more. I've got to spend more time. You are measured as a runner, not by how much you've improved at it, not by how fast you are, not by how good you are. You are measured literally by the amount of time that you spend doing it at your health's detriment. I have known dozens, hundreds of runners who have come into our doors and they are weak, they are tight, they are not in good shape, and they are doing this under the belief that it is good for them, under the belief that it is healthy, under the belief that you know getting to a point where you're running four marathons a year is a good thing, that is to be aspired to. And it's just not, it is It is not good for you. It is not healthy. It is not good for your body unless you are doing all sorts of other things to counteract that, right? Like two to three days of resistance training and structure building, proper recovery, not overdoing it on mileage, doing speed work. Like again, there is a full picture to every style of maximizing performance that people are just not figuring out or they're not seeking out. Again, they're just... They're just kind of seeing what's going on and thinking that that's what goes on, right? And so this is what happened a little bit when I really started to kind of go off the deep end with more volume. And this is what led me to start to study and research these things. What got me off the deep end of that uh, was was that mentality. Was That was the culture of CrossFit at the time. And I'm sad to say that it still sort of is. And when I try to communicate what's truly best for the athlete, both from a performance standpoint and what's best for them, you know, just from a health and wellness standpoint, they think I'm holding them back. And we've actually had people literally leave the gym because I have given them the right recommendation for their health, for their wellness, and for their performance gains. And they just think either I'm full of shit I'm lying to them or I'm trying to hold them back because they in their head are so convinced that more is the right answer. I need to be doing more and I can't do more here, right? I need to be doing three a day's Olympic lifting sessions to be able to compete at nationals. So I need a facility that allows me to do that. And it is just ridiculous to think that. Because 99.9% of the time, well, I'll just, we'll just say 100% of the time every time that that's happened, you can point to a dozen more important things that the person is not doing correctly. right? So in the runner's case, they are not doing resistance training at all. They aren't mobilizing and keeping their flexibility at all. They aren't doing speed work. They aren't actually working on improving their times. They don't understand how to improve their VO2 max or their aerobic capacity. They train way too many miles a week. They get stress fractures and they don't know how to heal those. And it just it's like it's you bang your head against the table sometimes. And uh, unfortunately, the culture of fitness and extreme performance sort of uh, prompts that. And I can't imagine what life is like as James Fitzgerald, who, uh, somebody who has dedicated their life. And this guys he's the first CrossFit Games champion. He won in 2007. World's fittest man. And he's absolutely he's just amazing to listen to and watch and see what he's done, because Unlike the others, he was not willing to sacrifice his own health and well-being to continue to compete at the sport. He just kept doing what was best for optimizing his own health, right? His own actual chemical health, his blood tests, his family's lifestyle, his stress, all that stuff. And he started to research it more heavily. He's very nerdy, sometimes hard to listen to. Uh, but the information that he puts out is really it's done a lot for the sport for those who have paid attention to it. And so uh, this is kind of what we think about when we start to think about overtraining. Okay. And this is what I always tell people when we start thinking about strength. Okay. Okay. Because strength is a big part for a lot of people, especially in CrossFit, is, you know, you see, you know, Matt Frazier snatching 315, and you think, oh, man, well, I've just got to get stronger. You see other people even in the gym that you want to compete with, and they're stronger than you. And, you know, for some reason, and it's probably just its ego in some capacity, but, you know, people put a little bit of extra pressure on the weightlifting stuff. But here's what I can tell you. I started CrossFit. I had never lifted weights in my life. When I started. first started, I was like bench pressing and doing stupid stuff, uh, bodybuilding. And, you know, I'd never done a clean. I'd never done a squat. I'd never done a deadlift. And I started learning that stuff at 24 years old. And so I was excessively weak. And... Um, you know, I dedicated myself really to the process. When I first started snatching, I couldn't snatch an empty barbell and then I couldn't snatch 75 and 95 forever. Then I got a pair of Olympic lifting shoes and that got me, you know, the ability to be able to snatch an overhead squat like 115 and 135. But Um, this is the thing that I see is people try to hack the system, right? They try to, oh, I'm snatching, you know, 135. I want to snatch 225, right? And they just think that you can skip. But to be able to snatch 225, well, you have to snatch 140 and then 145. Then you have to struggle for a little while. And then you have to suck and you have to fail a bunch. And then years go by. And then now you're snatching 165. And then you struggle there for a really long time. And then, you know, I'll never forget. It took me, I think, three months to get from 195 to 200. And I tried, like, every other day. And anybody who has that ability, they have put in the time, they have put in the reps, they've put in the years, they've put in the hours, they've put in the consistency, right? And a lot of times it's not trying to hack the system, it's not doing extra work on the side, it's not doing all these things. Um, You know, Jenny got to snatching like 155 just by taking class and doing it, you know, once or twice every month. So the capability is there. You just need to have the right intentional focus. And so uh, so we think about this, right? What, what are we going for? Let, and let's just keep the idea on strength, okay? Doing more strength work a lot of the times just doesn't get us anywhere, okay? So let's look at it just as resistance training generally, okay? Here's what resistance training is broken down, all right? you're going to stress the muscle fibers so much that they are going to slightly tear apart, okay? That is going to cause your recovery processes. So your metabolism, your digestion, and your brain, and your essential nervous system, all that stuff, it's going to cause all of that to start to flood recovery to those zones, okay? And if you can think about it another way, Think about it as, you know, get rid of all the stuff around you and just think about it every day. You know, the only thing for your survival is you have to be able to pick up a deer and bring them back to your den so that you can cook it. Okay. Well, if you try every single day, right, you might not be able to do it on day one or day a hundred, but a year later of trying to really work and pick that up, like your body's going to figure it out, right? And it's going to be your body and your brain working together to build that strength, to be able to perform that task. And so, chemically then when you think about that right break it down okay if we are slightly ripping muscle fibers apart and our brain is telling our body hey send the send protein amino acids omega fatty acids send, send all these vitamins and minerals over to those muscles so that they can recover so that next time that we have that really stressful thing happen we can do it okay and it's just that over and over again okay so when you take that concept okay There's two ways to look at that. More work is not going to net you more muscle ripping, okay? Or maybe it will. And if it does too much, guess what that's called? Well, that's called an injury, okay? That's a torn muscle or a strained muscle or an overworked muscle or tendinitis or all these other things, okay? And so that's bad. So that's the bad end of overworking, okay? The other bad end is a muscle that's already been sort of quote-unquote taken care of, right? So if you've already stressed that muscle, well, guess what? It can't be stressed anymore, all right? If your body is sending the response to maximize recovery, all right, what is actually the best answer? Well, not to stress it more, right? It's to improve recovery, okay? So I always use this analogy. I look at it a different way, okay? Okay. If you've ever burned yourself, and maybe, you know, I have chefs and cooks and restaurant people in my family, and they burn themselves a couple different times on the same spot, right? Well, what happens if you burn yourself on that same spot, and then you let it recover, right? And so weeks go by, you put ointment on it, right? And you really take care of it, and you wrap it, and you don't let any more burn happen, okay? And then a little more time goes by, and that skin becomes tougher, right? It's, it's a stronger piece of skin. Okay. It scabs over, it fades off. Now you've got a little burn mark there. It's stronger. Okay. Now, if you burn that same spot again after the recovery, well, that skin's going to grow back. It's going to callus. It's going to grow stronger. Okay. And if you do that again, after full recovery, it's going to grow stronger. And then eventually that skin's just not going to burn the same, right? It's going to adapt to that stress that you're putting on it. Okay. And so when we start to see that happen, that is the adaptation that we're talking about. Now, take that same instance, okay? If we burn that same part of our hand and it's burnt, but instead of rubbing ointment on it and wrapping it and making sure that nothing bad happens to it until it's fully recovered, instead, if the next day you go back and you burn it again, well, what happened? Now you burned already burned skin. Now that's gonna really fucking hurt, right? And now you might even do permanent damage down into the nerves. And then you go back the next day and you burn it again. Well, now you have almost no chance of recovering from that, right? You did permanent damage there. The skin's not able to grow back all the way, okay? Now you burn it again. Now you're gonna have to pull skin from another part of your body and get like a skin graft, right? And that's what we're doing. If we go in every day, like the people who are, you know, the the P90X abs every day, it just, that's, you're just not understanding how it works, okay? So same thing, arms every day, bench press every day. Like that's not how this works, okay? Stress the system, do it well, do it right, right? So if we're working for maximum body, we want to do big compound lifts, we want to deadlift, we want to squat, hit that stuff hard, and then recover, recover, recover. Not more, 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 not more squats, okay? Recover. And so if you guys are doing squat cycle or if you guys have ever done squat cycle in the past or you wonder about squat cycle, what I'm telling these guys all the time is not more, do not not just keep doing stuff, it's recover. Literally all I yell at the squat cycle the whole time is recover. Like you need to do your recovery days. You need to stretch. You need to eat right. You need to sleep more. You need to hydrate. It's only about recovery because if all you do is stress the system and then you're not recovered by the next system, you're not not only will you not get anything out of it, Okay, your body will start to revert because you'll hit adrenal fatigue, you'll start to break down muscle tissue, bad stuff happens, right? So now you're wasting your time and you're not getting better, all right? But it's also going to be at a much, much higher risk of injury, okay? So we need to take that stuff in mind, right? What are we working on? Why are we working on it? And have a focus, okay? And this is the big thing when we start thinking about why I tell people to set goals with a coach, Because they can set out parameters, okay? I can set out a parameter for everybody with any situation, right? If we want to get better at aerobic capacity or we want to build better endurance and all that stuff, well, guess what? Resistance training is still a component of that. Vice versa, if I want to get stronger and I want to just put on tons of muscle and get huge and look great with my shirt off, well, guess what? Aerobic training is a massive part of that right? You letting your lymphatic system work for you. So your lymphatic system, it, you know, depending on how nerdy you want to get with this, just think about it's going It's inside of the muscles. We have this thing that just will on its own, it will naturally help flush out all the crap that happens to our muscles when we train hard. Okay. So lactic acid and inflammation and all this stuff that sits there, your lymphatic system is like this pump. Okay. And when we, when we use the muscles, when we're really sore, really tired, or really fatigued, or we have a bunch of inflammation, and we just pump it out using that lymphatic system, well, that's our body's natural way to get rid of that stuff. And this is why I tell people all the time, and this is the huge argument against over-icing things that we don't want to over-ice, okay? So, if your knee is super inflamed, right, right? And we don't have anything coming up the next day, okay? We're not playing in a game, we're not competing, we're not doing something that we have to be ready for. Well, inflammation is your body's natural response to heal that. That's a good thing, okay? We don't necessarily really want to get rid of that too fast just so that we can get back to stressing that joint right in reality you want your body's natural systems to sort of start to run their course inflammation in that way is not always a bad thing okay so if we think about we stress that joint it becomes super inflamed right it puffs up like a big old snowball so you think uh, let's look at like a sprained ankle if you guys have ever seen a sprained ankle it pops and it swells up huge and it gets all black and blue okay well why is that that's all that's all rushing there why Well, it's like a little cast, okay? It's not going to let you move that ankle in a range of motion that's going to endanger it anymore, right? It's going to protect that and it's going to start to rush a bunch of, you know, blood vessels and blood to that area to start to try to help heal it, okay? It's starting the body's natural own healing process and protecting process. So if we go home and we just pack ice, 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 ice on it all the time, okay, there are certainly times where that can be the right answer, But there are also times where, you know, sometimes letting your body's natural lymphatic system flush out inflammation is probably more the right answer. And, you know, icing will get the inflammation down faster. But if we get the inflammation down faster and there actually is damage in the joint, while getting it back to a place where there's not a lot of pain and we do have full range of motion, that might not be the best thing for it. Okay. So that's kind of a second piece to that. And, you know, there's still a lot of the icing culture. I personally find compression to be a little bit more of, a, you know, compression, blood flow, a little light movement, non-stressful. That stuff seems to be significantly better from a recovery standpoint unless we have a time component to it, in which case icing can help. Okay. Okay. So, and obviously everything's situational, right? You have to precurse that. There are definitely instances where icing, you know, makes sense. And there are definitely instances where I would tell you just no, like icing that does not make sense, okay? And I think people are very quick to ice a lot of times. But icing just, again, you have to understand this full well-rounded picture and understand that your body's natural recovery processes really are very incredible. And sometimes it's just best to treat the body the right way And let the natural course of recovery just kind of take its time and go. And so, you know, a lot of people now are making these, you know, the whoop is one, uh, these heart rate variability things and all that stuff. And I do kind of like that. I like the science behind it, number one. But I also like it because I think it makes people aware of the fact that my system is stressed. I should not stress it more today, right? That's, That's the trap, okay? Six days a week of CrossFit class, super hard when you're an experienced athlete, is usually too much. Unless every single part of your recovery game is maximized. And 9.9999999999% of the time, it is not. Okay. And you have to understand that. You might think, oh, but I eat well and I and I sleep a lot and I drink water. Awesome. Still not maximized. Okay. You still have to think about getting like it's there's I mean, literally there's hundreds of components of this. Right. You know, no screens before bed, no caffeine after, you know, 11 a.m., waking up, getting vitamin D, moving blood flow in the morning. Just like there is a million pieces to this. And honestly, like if you're living in Ohio, you're already not maximizing recovery because we don't get enough vitamin D here. And so, you know, yeah, you can supplement it, you can take vitamins, you can eat for it and all this other stuff, but still not maximizing it, okay? So when we think about that, then we have to put ourselves in situations that set ourselves up for success within a plan that we can execute, and then we don't step outside the bounds of that. And if we want to broad brush a large group of people and really try to hammer in, exactly what should we be doing. First of all, obviously, it's going to be goal dependent. Second of all, it's going to be dependent on your current level of conditioning, right? Two things to think about with this. If you are a newer athlete, typically when we're talking about weightlifting and resistance training, you are not capable of going heavy enough relative to what you're actually capable of. Because you don't understand the form, your central nervous system hasn't quite figured out how to apply force properly. So, you know, let's say you get a fully grown male And they come in and they're deadlifting, you know, 95 pounds up to 135 for the day. Well, in reality, they're probably capable of quite a bit more. You know, if we put them in a situation where they had to save their son and there was a log, a tree fell and crashed on top of them in a fire and they had to run in and lift the tree and the tree weighed 300 pounds. Well, they could certainly do that. Right. With adrenaline and everything pumping, they are capable of that. But we obviously don't want to put ourselves in that stressful of a state without cause and without good form dialed in first. So if you are newer and our resistance training isn't going to be really maximized quite yet, and usually what you look at for that is anytime that we're, you know, the first base level is we're deadlifting 1.5 times body weight. We're squatting over our body weight and we are strict pressing more than like 0.5 to 0.75 of our body weight. Those are sort of your base levels where once we start getting above that capability wise and our percentage work is beyond that, now we're actually probably starting to get closer to our realistic capabilities and the stress is going to be a lot more real. So if you're a little bit newer and you're keeping things light and you're keeping things form focused and you know, you're know you getting a good sweat, but we're not really stressing that central nervous system or stressing those muscles, you might be able to make it five days a week of CrossFit. And still be able to properly recover while you're doing that. Now, if you start thinking you're a little bit more advanced of an athlete and you're you've been weightlifting, usually your training age is somewhere north of, you know, two years to three years, and you're starting to get up close to where, like, you know, if you have a bad day, you're not even getting within 20 pounds of your PR. If you're up around some of those peak levels, then it starts to become truly a game of recovery. And the actual stress that you want to put on your system needs to be exactly in line with your recovery. And that's a hard thing for people to understand, right? So think about them as two parallel lines, right? And if we start to think about our training goes up, but our recovery does not, then we will not see improvements, right? Our fitness will not match that. Okay. So the two lines need to go up together. So if you're an advanced athlete and you're going to come, you're going to hit, you know, heavy squat day. And then, you know, later in the week, we're going to be doing some you know, jerks and you're going to go heavy overhead. And we try not to overstress just in our general programming. We try not to even give the opportunity of, you know, four days a week of excessively heavy working sets. So we sort of self tailor the volume in that capacity. But what you want to think about is, there's other ways that you can stress that system. So if you think about it, right? 17.5, we did on on Monday. And if that is a workout that you really throttle and you just go balls to the wall on, Man, that can really stress your central nervous system. That can just suck everything out of you for the rest of the week and your legs are zapped. And, you know, your central nervous system, my central nervous system was super zapped. Your lungs, you get a little Fran lung, get a little cough going. And, uh, you know, that takes time to recover from. So if the next two days or two out of the three next couple days, we get in and, you know, we really push that weightlifting stuff without you know, sleeping more, dialing in the nutrition and making sure that our recovery game is upping for that stress level. Well, then we're typically just going to, you know, not really make that improvement. And we might be wasting our time. And if you really push it, you might be getting close to that, you know, stress level that's nearing an injury level. This is something, honestly, as we kind of start talking about this, this has been a conversation going back to 2011, 2012. Jay and I used to sit in the office and we used to have this conversation over and over and over again. I find it humorous now to be, you know, three or four generations of coaches removed and still having the same conversation. As I meet and go to seminars and certifications and meet with other gym owners and other coaches, It's the same conversation. And so this is just an issue generally as you look around weightlifting and training in human psychology. But what we're working on in this podcast and what we're working on generally in our community is doing things the right way, not trying to hack systems, making sure that we are mindful of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think when you really break down why you push to that level, I think it's hard to say a lot of times that there's not some element of ego involved, right? It is unrealistic for us to think that we are going to just constantly be improving our physical prowess from now to eternity. And in reality, what we should be striving for is just to be healthy and happy and enjoy our training style and then get on with our lives. And so, there's this little twinge of, you know, wanting to push for that next level element. And I think that just the way things have gone, the way, you know, training documentaries of games, athletes, and all the information that's put out there, it's so training focused. And the reason why is that the recovery stuff is super boring. If you sit down and, you know, there's a great documentary I was watching of Matt Frazier one time and showed him after training. He's sitting in his basement, like, eating, like, instant oatmeal by himself. He's disconnected the TV so that he doesn't sit and watch TV. And he's just sitting there. And the filmographer, the guy who's, who's doing it, just basically asked him, like, is this it? And he goes, yep, this is it. That's pretty much it. It's train and then recover. Train and recover. And just repeat that all the time and then immediately the documentary goes back to showing him you know heavy back squats and metcon and you know ramped up music shirts off sweating like you know kill it And it's just like because the other stuff's so boring nobody wants to watch you you know chew each piece of food you know 50 times before you swallow it Nobody wants to watch you, you know, black out your windows so that you have true black when you sleep so that you can actually get a true sleep cycle. And like that stuff is just it's boring as hell to talk about. It's boring as hell to to watch. Nobody's going to watch that in the documentary. And it's not near as sexy as, you know, watching, you know, Icelandic women in sports bras and booty shorts hit squat snatches. Like that's just that's cool. You know, I don't No matter what way you cut it. It's enjoyable to watch, and that's the sport. You know, and it's the same thing. If we go to LeBron James or Tom Brady, TB12, all that all the, the ridiculousness of of what's been put out with that stuff, it's it's recovery. Like what he's selling basically is recovery every step of the way. He's trying to maximize, you know, your quote unquote your longevity. And he's just dialed in good recovery protocols. Um, you know, now I think they've tried to work in exercise elements to it. But um, really what makes Tom Brady incredible, what makes LeBron James incredible, and if you dive into these guys, their investment is in recovery. I want to say LeBron James spends something like $1.25 million every year just in recovery. So it's cryo chambers, chiropractors, massage therapists, you know, suits and food and food prep and all that stuff. It's It's everything. Because those elite athletes who need to push at that level, they need to understand that your time spent in recovery is usually going to be about 1.5 or 2 to 1 in terms of training volume. And you start looking at guys like Kobe Bryant, what breaks down on them. It's not their performance. It's their knees. right? It's their backs. That's the Larry Bird. It was his back. And so their recovery just can't keep up with the volume that the sport demands. And the same is true with CrossFit. And the same is true with any training module. It's true with marathons. It's true with anything. Every marathoner that we've ever had that comes into the gym, the story's the same. And eventually on a long enough timeline, you're just going to break down. And so we need to kind of foresee that for ourselves. And a lot of you guys are in your like 30s and maybe early 40s or getting in there. And if you're in your 20s listening to this, awesome. You don't quite understand yet. But having this conversation and understanding it now is going to really pay off for you here in the next decade or so. And there's no reason not to dial this stuff in right now. It will both increase performance and improve quality of life. And so when you start thinking about that, you know, if I really had to broad brush just a training plan for everybody, and obviously what I do, what what I feel like if I have like one specialty, it's like, you know, giving you a true consultation for what your fitness needs. And that can go so far on the extreme level, right? You might be, I might be talking to somebody who's been doing, you know, dedicated CrossFit with us for five days a week for seven years. And we might be down to, foot positioning and core bracing and some at-home breathing drills and some of the advanced recovery mechanics, as opposed to a brand new day one consultation for somebody who's on prescription drugs, it might be, you know, drink less soda, stop smoking. So everybody gets a little bit different consultation. Everybody gets a little bit different advice, but that would be where I would say I specialize in. But if I would have to say like where you can broad brush everybody generally Is Right into this, you should do four days a week of dedicated cross training that should exercise every plane of movement, every joint in your body, every muscle in your body, right? Obviously, if we exercise and move every joint in our body, every muscle in our body will move also. And we should get our heart rate up for an extended period of time, somewhere between 20 and 40 minutes. And we should get our heart rate up, up, or maybe not max levels, but very near maximum levels once a week, right? So we should have some sprint element where we have an all-out exertion effort, okay? And if we can do those things every week, right? You think about that. What does that give us, right? And this, it truly is a, you know, it's a, the the four-year version. Is it true if you don't use it, you lose it? Uh, That is true as it pertains to health and wellness, right? If you don't squat, you will lose the ability to squat, right? If you don't go overhead or hang, you will lose the ability to go overhead and you will lose the ability to hang and hold your own body weight, right? If we are doing those things every single week, you know, it's the same thing. So you think about, think about an old guy, right? If anybody's ever seen, a, you know, an old man, uh, I watched a, um, there's a video the other day of a, a foot race between two guys, probably in their eighties, right? And, you know, they're just pissing vinegar and, you know, they're probably talking crap to each other think they still got it. And they start sprinting and watching old men sprint is kind of cringeworthy. They can't stride. They lose the ability to, you know, have the coordination. Both of them ended up falling, And, you know, you think about, okay, so how could we be in our 80s and still be able to stride and run and sprint? Well, you have to do it, like every week. You have to keep that capability. You look at guys like Deion Sanders, you know, who's now probably in his upper 40s, maybe even 50s, and he can still sprint. He's still got it. He can still stride. And the reason why is he goes out and he trains with football teams. He trains with college kids. Uh, you know, he trains them on their forties. He does sprinting drills. He does that. And he's doing it every week. And so you think about that. It's like, okay, we just have to keep doing these things every week. We have to keep the ability to give a hundred percent max effort. We have to keep the ability to go longer and have that aerobic base. We have to keep the ability to lift heavy things off the ground You know, squat decent weight. We don't need to squat crazy weight, but we need to squat enough weight to make sure that those muscles are functional, sound, working the right way. And we have to think about making sure that every joint has the capability to move in the ranges of motion that they are supposed to move. And that's it. And we can do that in four days a week of good, solid programming and good, solid cross training. The other three days of the week should sort of break down like this. You should have one day where, hopefully, if you can, you get out and you get outside, you get some sun, you spend some time around trees, you maybe play some sports, right? You play spike ball, you play some, shoot some hoops, you throw the football with your son, kick the soccer ball, you know, just even just walk your dog, right? For an extended period of time, 40 to 60 minutes. It's good for them, it's good for you. And just get outside, right? Extended playtime in the outdoors. Now, obviously, in Ohio right now, eh, it may not be super realistic, right? And that's why we sort of put on a, you know, a little pudge and we don't always feel quite as good as we should in the winter because we kind of lose that ability, then the other two days should really be recovery focused, right? You should do some yoga. You should do some mobility. should take care of your muscles. If you're going to get a massage, get it on those days. If you're going to see a chiropractor, go see a chiropractor on those days. Then move around a little bit. Eat really healthy. Get a good night's sleep. Make sure you hydrate. Prep food for, you know, the meals for the rest of the week. And if we think about that, if we really just dedicated one hour to our health and fitness every day of the week, That's all we need to do. And you're going to be a supreme physical being if you really do that. Because the hours on the days where you're not going in and throttling yourself are going to be dedicated to recovering from throttling yourself. And they're going to set you up for success on the days where you do, right? So that's why we prep food. You use that hour of time to maybe go and see the chiropractor for 30 minutes or go and get a massage and then come back. Prep some food and have that ready for the rest of your days. Right. So that's that would be my week in general for everybody. That's what I would recommend for my mom. That's what I would recommend for, you know, an 18 year old, you know, college. Division one walk on who didn't make the team. I struggled to find an avatar for that. But let's just say like a stud athlete in high school, you know, who wants to go and continue playing co-ed sports and, you know, still stay in the game, stay athletic, not be the guy, you know, who turns 32, 35 and looks back and, you know, says, I haven't worked out since I stopped playing basketball in high school. And and that would be it right? It's so, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? Our ego gets in the way, our, you know, our mentality, this drive and desire and push and a lack of patience causes us to do things that hinder that consistency. So we push it too far, we push it too hard, we get injured, or we have a setback, Because our recovery is not meeting the effort that we are putting forth, or we're not understanding where our limitations are, and we push too hard too far, and we take things too long before we actually really dedicate time to recovery. And so when that happens, then we fall off of that consistent plan, we're no longer able to push it for four days a week. And in place of that, we maybe end up sometimes we have we see people that end up falling off completely from any exercise regimen, right? They have a little setback. They push things too far because they're too performance focused and they quit and they never come back and they, you you know, you check in with them and they never got back onto another workout regimen. They just kind of stopped in general altogether. Right. And so one little setback, because we made some poor decisions as it pertains to recovery or as it pertains to exercise or as it pertains to weightlifting, because we were too focused on, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Or, well, this, you know, this guy over here, he's got, you know, a 15 pound bigger squat than me. And I want you know, I have to I have to PR. I have to get my squat up. I have to get 15 pounds more. I need to PR. I need to be able to do as much as these guys do. That mentality, that is what causes that. So I push and I maybe go a little bit unsafe. And then at night, you know, I'm watching videos of how to improve your clean and how to do this and how to do that. But yet I'm still not doing all the right things inside of, you know, even inside of the individual training session. I'm not warming up properly. I'm not cooling down properly. I'm not mobilizing before a heavy day, right? We see that a lot. And so if you think about that kind of stuff, it's like it's it's this full picture, right? Right. And so, if we're making sure that we're doing the right things, then certainly you can push it to so such a different level that none of this matters. Uh, but I think a lot of people maybe underestimate what that level actually looks like, right? And if you watch some of the athletes that do lift that much, watch you know, talk to them about what they do for recovery, talk to them about what their full recovery picture looks like, you'll talk to somebody like. You know Maria or Andy, and they they'll tell you like, oh, I'm not maximizing my recovery game, but they still eat almost perfectly. You know they still well Maria and probably not Andy anymore, but they still sleep. You know nine hours a night. They still focus on a really solid warm up, and they pay attention. They focus. They get their heart rate up. They move extremely well, and and then when they get home, you know they're eating plenty. They're paying attention to their nutrition. They're drinking plenty of water. There's just a lot of these blocks are getting checked that maybe people don't see. And they think that there's some, you know, program or some extra work or something that they're just not doing. When in reality, a lot of the times it's just that that person maybe has been doing it more consistently for a longer period of time and they're paying attention to auxiliary recovery things that you're maybe just not paying attention to at all or taking for granted. So, That'll wrap up the conversation here. This is something that we that I could just talk about for for hours and hours and hours and hours. And you know, everything is a little bit individualized and personalized, and everybody has their own battle that they're facing with this stuff, and everybody has their own goals and desires and drives for performance. But one of the things that I just want people to kind of take away from this is the understanding that if a coach recommends that you do mobility or that you do physical therapy exercises or that you do, you know, little accessory things here and there, or fundamentals, right? A coach tells you, so I, I, this is the one that always gets me, is people tell me, oh, I want to get a muscle up. And I tell them to just work ring dips or, you know, or kips, like those two things. And they think like I'm blowing them off. And it's like, no, like that's that's what's exactly what you need to train. If coaches give you those things, they're not messing around with you. They're not, they're not holding back on you, right? It's flailing around on the rings or a bar trying to scoop one elbow over the top and chicken wing up your first bar muscle-up. That is not a plan, and that is not a good way to stay healthy and drive solid performance, right so these are the things just that we see and I've seen now uh, in a decade of coaching that we are continually having to battle against and struggle with as you know coaches and as a community and just a conversation and dialogue that you know I think we can have that will maybe help a couple people on their journey to, you know, making better decisions. And maybe just honestly, I think more than anything, I think it gives you peace of mind, it helps you relax a little bit as it pertains to trying to catch up with people or trying to drive to this level of performance where you know what, your body is doing the best it can with what you're given it. And if that's the case, that's all you can hope for. Right, trying to say, trying to put a number out there because somebody else can hit it. Well, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know what the last twenty years of their life has looked like. You don't know what their recovery is like at home. You don't really know any picture of the full equation. And so to compare in that instance, just it makes no sense, right? And so um, just don't be don't be too caught up in that kind of stuff. And hopefully this uh, kind of helps get us in the right mind state for some of that. As always, if you guys feel like you're really struggling with this stuff, talk to coaches, make sure that you guys develop some sort of a plan in terms of, you know, goals. Goals drive performance. What are we pushing on? Performance drives recovery, right? And so you just develop a performance and recovery plan, right? And if you have that, and then you just consistently execute, I promise you'll get everything that you want over a long enough period of time. But just don't skip that part. So many people just kind of shoot it from the hip and don't really express what they actually want to achieve. And then, you know, a plan to achieve everything is a plan to achieve nothing, you know, really think about this as, you know, kind of the, the jack of all trades. It's not, you're not going to be Lance Armstrong and Ronnie Coleman, right? It's this, it just doesn't work that way. All right. So, um, so good luck, reach out to a coach, reach out to me if you guys need help with anything. And, uh, hopefully this kind of puts things a little bit more in perspective for you. We'll